It's day 60 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Month number three, you guys, we have completed two months of reading through the Bible, and today we are continuing in the book of Numbers with the beginning of the wilderness wanderings before jumping into our very first Psalm. So we'll be in Psalm 90 today, which is actually one of Moses's prayers to the Lord. We'll be reading out of the ESV by Crossway Translation, but before we begin, if you're excited to be here in the Word of God, could you please hit that like button, that little thumbs up button, and also make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you are a part of the Heart Dive fam and you've got that notification bell on to let you know when the videos come out each and every day. So that will be your first notification even before you get the email, the daily emails. And if you're like, what are the daily emails? We send out a daily email or daily newsletter that has our video, our podcast, the daily notes, the heart checks, and any important announcements. And by the way, we do have some announcements coming up. So if you are in the email newsletter family, you're gonna be the first to be able to hear those announcements. So if you wanna sign up, make sure to head over to our website, heartdive.org, or check out the description box or show notes where we have all the links that you can access directly. Otherwise, let's go ahead and pray. Prepare our hearts to get into God's Word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this group. Thank you for the opportunity to have the freedom to be able to read your Word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will dwell within this space right here. I pray for unity. I pray, Lord, that there will be nothing but goodness here today. I pray that if there's any plaque on our hearts that needs to be taken off, that you will remove it right now so that we are free and clear to be able to hear your voice, to see your face, and to receive the word that you have for us today. Forgive us, Lord, for any of our sins where we have hurt your heart, where we have hurt somebody else, and I pray that you please help us to forgive others. Will you increase the capacity of forgiveness in our hearts and grace and mercy so that we can give that out just the way that you give to us? If we're dealing with any offense today, Lord, I pray that we won't be on the defense, but that we will fall on our face before you and take it to you first so that you you can help us deal with it. Sometimes we know that you need to deal with our hearts before we can even get things right with other people. And so I just pray that you will do that today. We give you full permission to speak to us with plain truth, but also we know that you always do so with love. So thank you for that. And I just pray that this will be a blessed time that we get to spend with you in fellowship. We love you so much in Jesus name. Amen. So we left off in chapter 13 with the spies being sent into Canaan to check it out. And of course, we know that eight out of 10 of them came back with a bad report. They're spreading some pretty bad news about what's going on in the promised land. And now they're all freaking out. So we read about this in chapter 14, verse one, then all the congregation raised a loud cry. So they're all joining into the complaining choir. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. And I'm like, oh, you guys, be careful what you ask for, because we know that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And sadly, we're going to see that this very thing that they're saying, if only we had, they're going to receive. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. So they are now slandering God, accusing him of wanting to kill their children. 
and basically implying that they care more about their kids than God actually cares about their kids. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So this is just plain rebellion against leadership, against the very people that God has placed in authority over them. And it's making them think that they made a mistake in leaving Egypt. Again, they're going back to that slave mentality. So their faithlessness is leading them into foolishness and faithlessness will always do that. It will never lead us down a better path in life. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And if we haven't figured this out by now, one of the secrets to Moses's greatness was prayer. I mean, as soon as anything went awry, he fell on his face and he prayed. So heart check, when chaos ensues, is your first resort to fall on your face in prayer? Verse 6, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. So they are now too entering into that place of mourning or grief. And said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. And they're like, guys, don't you remember? This is a good thing. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So they're like, we're going to eat them for breakfast. What are you guys scared of? So they are looking at their challenge as an opportunity from God. Verse 10, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, this sounds very familiar to what he told him back in Exodus chapter 32. Same thing. Y'all don't want to listen. I'm going to straight take Moses up out of here and I'm going to create a greater nation out of him. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it for you brought up this people in your might from among them and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it's because the Lord wasn't able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now... Please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Take a look at this prayer. I mean, he is appealing to the name of God, meaning his character, to his promises and what he has spoken. He's appealing to the covenant that he has made with the people. And again, his promises. And God cannot go back on his word. This is one of the wisest things that we can do in our prayer is to say, Lord, your word has spoken because God loves to prove his faithfulness, especially when it comes to his word. And he loves to do this because he knows that this is going to increase our faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And one of the most incredible things about 
about this intercession is not the words that Moses spoke, even as profound as they were, but it is his heart that was on display. Notice that he never once mentioned himself. Everything was you, they, them. Even after God made him an offer to make him the greatest leader of the greatest nation. Every single word he spoke here was centered around God and others. He was more concerned about the glory of God and the condition of the people than he was his own success. So heart check, how much of your prayers, your thoughts, and your actions are centered around God and others? Verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Wow. We know that God is sovereign and that his holiness demands judgment. But here he lets Moses know that his prayer mattered. And while it may be hard for us to wrap our heads around it, this shows us that there is indeed a relationship between God's sovereignty and our prayers. Our prayers matter to God because His heart of compassion that intercedes from within us, it will release His mercy. And He knows before we even speak the words what we're going to say. So don't ever stop praying because you never know when your prayer will be the one that is part of His divine plan. We have to be more like Moses and pray as if life and death depend on it. Because if the Bible says that He will turn away even Christians in the end because He doesn't know them, how else is he going to know us if we aren't talking to him? So heart check. Do you pray as if life and death depends on it? Verse 21, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. So when he says these 10 times, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about the lack of trust at the Red Sea, the bitter water complaints at Mara, the wilderness of sin complaints, the collecting of the extra manna when he told them, this is your daily quota, the collecting of manna on the Sabbath, the lack of water complaints at Rephidim, the golden calf incident, the complaints at Tibera, the lack of food complaints, and the failure of trust in entering the promised land. There were many other times, I'm sure, that there was faithlessness, but these are the main points that he is making here. So he's saying, they are not going to walk into the promised land, and none of those who despise me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Which this will be fulfilled in Joshua chapter 14. But what made Caleb different from the rest? Well, if we look Look at what the majority was doing. They were letting their feelings rule them rather than trusting in the promises of God. They were letting their insecurities get in the way of their courage. They were hitting up each other's DMs and text messages and talking smack about their leaders. They were complaining. They were creating toxic environments. But Caleb was different. Even if he knew that they would be thrown to the wolves, he also knew his God would be in there with them. He trusted that what was on the other side was greater than anything that they left behind. He was an encourager rather than a quitter or a complainer. And one of the greatest pieces of advice I ever heard when going headfirst into this ministry was stay above the clouds. And this doesn't mean hold yourself as higher or better than anyone. This just meant that I could not tangle myself into the pettiness that some will try to bring. We have to do this as Christians because the world is petty 
and so is its master. It will try to drag you down so that you quit. So we have to stay above that so that we can soar. And we do that by not cowering to fear, but we take on that spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So heart check. Are you able to stay above the clouds or do your feelings or your fear rule you? Verse 25, now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. And this just made me so sad because I'm like, they were right there. They were on the edge of entering into their promised land. And God said, about face, you're going back into the wilderness because you didn't learn your lesson. So I'm sending you back so that you can go back into basic training. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. Well, isn't that interesting? Exactly what they said in verse two, when they said, oh, that we would have died in the wilderness is exactly what they're going to get. And all of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. So basically all the adults who have been acting like children not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, so any of the ones that they said God was trying to kill, ironically, who you said would become prey, I will bring in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. So they are basically going to die in the wilderness, either by old age or by wilderness issues, I guess you could say. We can look at this spiritually in the sense that our old man also has to die in the wilderness before we can ever enter into the promised land. Our old self must die before we can take up our cross and follow Jesus. So we have to go from self-focus, self-reliance, lack of faith to God-focused, God-reliant and faithfulness because without that, we will never enter into the rest that is promised to us and that abundance that is promised to us in Hebrews chapter three. It is only by faith that we will be able to enter into that rest. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. So again, they're getting what they murmured about. 40 years is basically a whole generation. And this number in the Bible symbolizes purging or purification. We saw it with the 40 days and 40 nights with the flood. There are many other instances of the number 40, but according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. So one year for every single day. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end and there they shall die. So they basically missed their destiny. Now, I know sometimes we walk around thinking that we may have missed our chance as well, but God indeed is a God of second chances. We aren't even strong enough to mess up our destiny and to mess up our purpose. He can redeem anything. He 
can restore anyone. And I'm a huge believer in that because he did it with me. So don't ever think that you are at the end of your days. If you're still here and you're still breathing, you still have a huge purpose to serve on this earth. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land, they died by a plague before the Lord. So they got immediate judgment. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. And it's because they lived that consecrated life, that set-apart life. They decided not to run with the crowd, and therefore, they were declared holy, and therefore, they had life, whereas the sin of the others led to death. Verse 39, when Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. Now, they are mourning because of the consequence. They aren't mourning because their spirits are in the right place. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are, we'll go up to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. And this is really sad because it's like, y'all missed the boat. Like it's gone. You're now going to have to swim your way to shore. But Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? So basically he's like, listen, you can think you're doing the right thing, but if it's at the wrong time, it isn't going to be successful. Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have turned back from following the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant nor the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. So they are being presumptuous, meaning they are believing that something is true, like surely God wants us to go if he called us to go earlier. But if God didn't tell them to go at this point, then that means that it is not a step of faith. Because again, we have to hear the word go. When God releases you, when that cloud lifts, then you go. But up until that point, you're not stepping out in faith. You're stepping out in rebellion. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. And this word Hormah means utter destruction. So now here in chapter 15, they are basically at their lowest point. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land you are about to inhabit. So notice he doesn't say if he is declaring that promise. Once again, it will happen. Not if, but when. So even they are not strong enough to destroy God's purpose for them, which I am giving you and you offer to the Lord from the herd or from the flock a food offering or a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering or at your appointed feast to make a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Then he who brings his offering shall offer to the Lord a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil. And you shall offer with the burnt offering or for the sacrifice, a quarter of a hin of wine for the drink offering for each lamb. Or for a ram, you shall offer for a grain offering two tenths of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with a third of a hin of oil. And for the drink offering, you shall offer a third of a hin of wine, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And when you offer a bull as a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or for peace offerings to the Lord, then one shall offer with the bull a grain offering of three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a half a hin of oil. And you shall offer for the drink offering half a hin of wine as a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So this is basically going back to Leviticus chapters one through three but a few more details added to it. 
Thus it shall be done for each bull or ram, or for each lamb or young goat. As many as you offer, so shall you do with each one, as many as there are. Every native Israelite shall do these things in this way, in offering a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger is sojourning with you, or anyone is living permanently among you, and he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. So the Lord is welcoming anyone to bring the offerings, as long as they are part of the faith. For the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land to which I bring you, and when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall present a contribution to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall present a loaf as a contribution, like a contribution from the threshing floor, so shall you present it. Some of the first of your dough you shall give to the Lord as a contribution throughout your generations. But if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments that the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by Moses from the day that the Lord gave commandments and onward throughout your generations, then if it was done unintentionally without the knowledge of the congregation, all the congregation shall offer one bull from the herd for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the rule, and one male goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the people of Israel, and they shall be forgiven because it was a mistake. And they have brought their offering, a food offering to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their mistake. So our intentional sins have also been atoned for by the blood of Jesus. And I know there's a lot of people who walk around worried that they may have sinned whenever they were eight years old and maybe God's not going to forgive them. That is not the case. Those things are covered by the blood of Jesus. And again, you can see unintentional sins, some examples of that back in Leviticus, this happening in chapters four through five. And the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven and the stranger who sojourns among them because the whole population was involved in the mistake. Now, mind you, deliberate sins could not be atoned for here. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat a year old for a sin offering and the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake when he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally for him who is a native among the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything with a high hand, meaning flagrant rebellion, meaning you are shaking your fist at God and saying, I don't care what you think. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. So this isn't just a struggle with a certain sin. Okay. Very different. Whether he is native or a sojourner reviles the Lord and that person shall be cut off from among his people meaning either capital punishment or banishment, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. And while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. So the fact that this is happening right after God just spoke about intentional sins and flagrant rebellion, this story is likely of a man who is rebelliously gathering sticks. So this isn't like a, I didn't know about the Sabbath day and I didn't know I couldn't gather sticks. And blatantly ignoring the Sabbath day would have actually been rejecting the covenant relationship with God. And therefore, it has to be nipped in the bud by God here, even though it's going to sound very 
very harsh. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. Why was it not clear? Well, one of the reasons that we think that maybe it wasn't clear was because maybe they hadn't laid out all of the stipulations about what was considered work or not on this day. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. And we have to come back to the heart of God about the purpose of the Sabbath. It was for their good. It wasn't something to try to put some sort of restriction on them. It was so that they could rest and refresh and have that fellowship both with him and with other people. So he did not want them to disregard or reject the good gift that he was giving to them. So he is establishing that his social order and the laws are more important than anybody's right to be able to attack that social order and the laws of God. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. So this would be an outward symbol for them. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after because that's your human sin nature. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. So be set apart. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord, your God. And by the way, these tassels are still traditionally worn today by Orthodox Jews. Now heading over to Psalm chapter 90. So this is the oldest Psalm in the book of Psalms. It is a corporate lament because of the community complaints going on among the people. And this is the only Psalm in the book of Psalms that is attributed to Moses. Verse one, Lord, and this, by the way, is not Yahweh, because you can see it's capital L with lowercase o-r-d. So this is more like Adonai, which celebrates the majestic authority of God or the mastery of God. You have been our dwelling place or our refuge in all generations. So Moses is affirming their security in God here. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. So before creation, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he is appealing to his eternal nature and his unchanging nature. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. So he is expressing the frailty of the human life and how quickly it goes by. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. Now, it's not just because God's up there being angry all day. It is because of their sin that his wrath is coming down upon them. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So his light will expel all darkness. He sees everything. We can't hide anything from him. But the beautiful thing is he still loves us, even in the midst of all of our sin. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength of 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. 
They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So he's basically saying here that death is inevitable. He's not putting a cap on the ages of 70 and 80 for the end of life, but that is basically the span of a person's life by average at this point. And when he says, according to the fear of you, he's saying, according to the respect and the reverence and the awe of you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, from the moment that we are born, our days are already numbered. But of course, none of us know what that number is. So how do we number our days? Days. Well, it is all a matter of understanding and accepting that this life is temporary. And most of us live our lives trying to just stay alive as long as possible. Accepting death is a really hard thing to do for us as humans. And this is why we mourn whenever people leave us. But the truth is, we all know it's going to happen. So why is it so hard for us to accept? And so numbering our days means we need to appreciate the time that we do have here, paying attention to the purpose in the present and how we can use this time for eternal purposes. When we can do this against that eternal backdrop, our life here won't feel so short when it is tethered to heaven and we will have less anxiety about life passing us by or getting old whenever we realize that this is only the beginning and our days are actually increasing every day that we lived. But if we don't have that heavenly perspective, our days here will be numbered for us and we will only see them as decreasing as each day passes. So heart check, are you numbering your days against eternity or are your days on earth numbered for you? Return, O Lord, how long I have pity on your servants. So when he says return, this is a call for compassion, or sometimes this return is a call for death, but more so here, a call for a renewal of their lives. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. And we can pray this too. You know, making us glad is something the Lord wants to be able to do for us, but we've got to remember that the fullness of this gladness will never be felt until we get to heaven. So until then, we have to spend our lives loving one another and serving other people. That is where you will find that true joy. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So Moses is leading the people in calling for God to establish the work of their hands because he knows that without God's presence, or his power, or that foundation on which they will establish their work, nothing will prosper. It may seem to fly for a little bit, but eventually it's gonna come crashing down. And sometimes we can do this, enforcing what we want, doing what we think is right, and basically saying, I'm going with or without you, God, and he's not going to resist. I mean, he's going to let you fly for a little bit, knowing that when you begin to fall, perhaps then you will cry out for his help and come back to the nest. So heart check. Are you allowing God to establish the work of your hands or are you doing what you think is best? And now taking a look at some of our deep dive questions. What promised lands do we fear entering today? How can we bolster our own faith and trust in God rather than our circumstances? Is intentional sin different from sinning with a high hand? Does it warrant the same consequences? Is there still communal accountability in churches today? And how do you view the length of our life on earth? How does it shape your faith? 
So Heavenly Father, we just ask you to please forgive us for the times when we may have thought that we were better off without you, because we know that we need your presence and your guidance, your favor and your mercy. May we never try to go anywhere without it. I pray that we always operate in faith and not foolishness. Help us, Lord, to rely on your promises and not just our feelings or our insecurities that will ultimately lead us astray. And forgive us for ever slandering you in any way or saying we would have been better off had we never tried out this faith thing. I pray that we will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy that we should just abandon our post. We want to stay where you are and walk with you throughout this entire journey of life. So may we see every challenge as an opportunity to better ourselves for the sake of your kingdom. We know you are with us, so we do not need to fear anything that lies ahead. And I pray that we will have a heart like Moses, one that is God-focused and people-centered. And the more we direct our focus on serving you and others, the less we will be consumed with ourselves and how we feel or what we lack. You are our supply. So I pray that we can remember that in the times when people are failing us. And may we have a zeal for you that longs to protect your name with every word that we speak, every prayer that we utter, and every action that we take. I pray your power will be seen in everything we do. Thank you, Lord, for those who have ever interceded on our behalf. We realize that intercession is so important and that our prayers truly do matter to you. We know that they play a role in your divine plan. So help us to pray, God. Give us the heart to pray for other people. I pray that our spirits will be different, holy, set apart from the world. Where others may be gossiping or complaining or fearful, I pray that we will be the ones who stop those conversations in their path, ones who look for ways to be a solution instead of simply pointing out a problem, and ones who are full of faith and will encourage others in it. We want to be fully committed to you and your purpose, just as Caleb was, so that we do not get on the brink of the blessing only to be turned back to learn more lessons the hard way. I pray that we do not give you a reason to give us something to cry about. We know that the more we run from you, Lord, the more we will run into problems. So I pray that we will die to our old selves today and pursue you. We don't want to spend our short life on this earth wandering aimlessly, but rather walking in purpose and faithfulness. And may we never be presumptuous and walk outside of the confines of your will. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice. When you say to go, we will move. And when you say no, we will stay put. I pray that we never have a rebellious spirit that goes against your plans. We don't ever want to be the reason for the delay. We know that your purpose can never be destroyed by us, for we're not strong enough for that, but we can certainly create a stumbling block. So help us to stay focused on what you have commanded us to do. And we thank you, Jesus, for the atonement of our sins, whether intentional or not. But I pray that we never take that for granted and as an excuse to continue living in sin. Lord, give us the strength to get out of any lifestyles that are grievous to your heart. And I thank you for loving us through it all and never cutting us off. We want to stay close to you no matter what. And I pray that we never take what you have created for our good and turn it for evil. The enemy does that enough, so we certainly don't need to be adding to it. And may we never think that our freedom gives us the right to attack your order and design. And help us, Lord, to view our lives against the backdrop of eternity so that we walk with integrity all the days of our lives. Establish the work of our hands, Lord, all for your glory. We love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. 
None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us, and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing, and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer. And I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.